Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto with your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today. Folks, how is everybody doing? I trust that all's going well with everybody. Bridge MCP, woo, just made it. Hanging blinds. You're hanging blinds. You are such a resourceful person, Bridge MCP. I am proud of you. Man, I could use, actually, I don't have enough windows in this office to actually get any blinds in. Uh, well, you know, what can I say? We'll see. Anyhow, folks, we are going to have a great show for you today. So what's going on? It seems like uh, Taylor, uh, Green Taylor, Taylor Green is having some issues. It looks like they're going to take her off the committees. Either the Republicans do it or they it will be done for them. And to which... Everybody's starting to say, or rather, Republicans are starting to say, don't do that because it's going to set a precedent. And if it's set a precedent, we may do the same thing to you too. Um, to which I say, yeah, please, set a precedent. We, don't, we cannot allow that kind of person in committee. They shouldn't even be in Congress, but it's a democracy, so... They were voted in, and they deserve to be there if they're voted in. But the the, the uh, Congress reserved the right to make sure that it can operate, and it can operate without having hoodlums interrupt the, the, the committees, etc. So they have the right to organize to ensure that hoodlums, thugs, even if inside of Congress, are not allowed to disrupt Congress because it disrupts everybody else. So... That's what it's all about. Anyhow, what is the show going to be about today? What is the show? Lee Grant. Hey, brother Lee Grant. How you doing, brother Eric Hayes? How you doing, sis Bridge MCP? And sis Nanette Bird-Smith. Welcome aboard. We're going to have some fun today. Tank 28. Our, 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 look here. We have people from all over. QAnon, everything. Anyhow, let me take my caller. My caller, 828. Come on in, 828. How are you doing today? Senior Willies, how are you? This is Hope in North Carolina. If you know, hey, Hope, you know what? Let me tell you what your name is because your name in Spanish is like wonderful. It is Esperanza. Think about that. I know. Esperanza. You're so sweet to say that. Say that again. Thank you. <laughs> You're fine to say that. Thank you. Yes, yes. Anyhow, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Real quickly, um... I didn't know if you caught the exchange between, it's either a congressman or a senator. I think it's Senator Mark Rogers, um, who is the head of the committee that oversees Space Force. Yes. Um, and the comment on Jen Psaki, who is President Biden's new uh, press communications secretary. Yeah. Uh I, I kind of caught the tail end. Now they're wanting her to apologize for for that. Yeah, she made kind of a, just a minor comment because the press corps was going on about, you know, the Air Force One and this and that. And they were talking about basically all things aerial. And, uh, you know, she kind of smiled and said, well, Space Force is the plane of today, meaning, you know, the press corps keeps talking about all things aerial. And then this Republican, Mark, quote unquote, Buck Rogers is how I referred to him, <laughs> said that Jim Pisaki should apologize for 
pejorative commentary that she made about Space Force. And you know what I think Jen Psaki should do? Tell me what you think she should do. I think the next time um, Mark Rogers visits the White House, not that he'll ever be invited, but if he does, I think that Jen Psaki should take Mark Rogers out back and beat the you-know-what out of him. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous. It is sick, but you know what? She, she t- I, I don't know if you saw the press conference today. No. Okay, she took care of it nice today. said, are you going to apologize? She said, no. Uh, she, she pretty much said... Exactly what she said. Uh, she, we have nothing to do about the space, uh, the space force, or anything. I mean, she was very cool about it. What I love about Jen, Jen Psaki is that she does not ever get rattled. She is very yeah. good at what she does, and even when she is, uh, when she's not answering the question that that you ask her. She makes sure she does it with style, with class. She doesn't try to make you look foolish. She's a very, very good press uh, press secretary. Totally. And you know what's so effective about that? A majority of us out here who are, you know, and it's not even so much about being on her side necessarily, but it's about being really frustrated with the Republicans not knowing who the heck they are, trying to gain ground and trying to get somebody as innocent and as competent as Jen Psaki to step in it. And I think it's absolutely insane. Well, you, you know, what, the thing about it is what I've always said that uh, Democrats do too often, right, is they're too concerned about making sure all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. And if you're competing with somebody who doesn't give a hoot, you know, first of all, you can't negotiate right now with the current Republican Party because there is not a Republican Party to negotiate with. No one person can carry a load. And secondly, if you are actually trying to uh, do something like, uh, like again, you can't, you can't allow them to take you off message. What I love that I'm seeing with the, with the Biden administration right now is message consistency and not veering off of message. And I find that so rewarding. They don't. They try to get them to make comments about uh, this Taylor Green woman. They leave it up to the. That is something that the Senate has to take care of. They talk about impeachment. Uh, the, the impeachment trial. That is something that the third that, that the Congress has to take care of. My, I am singularly responsible for making sure we get America back up to speed. That's what we're doing. And I am so happy that Jen Psaki and all the others, they're doing just that. They're staying on message. They are. They are. And, you know, it's nice to kind of have an executive branch that respects yes. um, the legislative branch that now respects the uh, judicial branch and have the appropriate level of separation again. And it's also nice to be able to track. Absolutely. But anyway, I just wanted to see if you saw that. Yes, you had I, a great show last week. I'm going to get off the air and see what you have to say today. Thank you so kindly for calling in. Hope I love I love getting calls, but most of the people that listen now like to type. <laughs> but it's okay. Well, this is my news source, so I look forward to it all the time, and I appreciate you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Muchas gracias, Esperanza. Tenga muy bien día. Thank you so kindly. Hope <laughs> you have a wonderful day. You. Bye. 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 Anyhow, let's see. We're oh wow, we are already going wild in the chat room, and I'm getting it from from both Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. Let me see what I got here. Uh, let me. I, I saw one from Eric Hayes that I think I want to hit. 
Well, first let me hit Norman. Norman says, hey, everyone, telling someone that, that thuggish behavior is not standard, normalizing, acceptable, is not the same as silencing. Exactly. Thank you, Norman. Look, uh, the woman is a thug. She goes and she follows a kid and harasses a kid. She goes into Congress. She harasses Cory Bush. She's a thug. That is not silencing somebody. The woman is a thug. She is a common thug. Now, let's continue. And you know, I am very nice with my words. I treat people nicely because I love everybody. But she's a thug. I'll give her a hug anyway, but she's a thug. You know? Now, when it comes to Brother E2247, bring success to this humble effort to achieve in law the rights of nature as presented by Casey Camp Harnack. What is that? I'm not sure what that is, so I can't continue reading that. Okay, uh, Eric Hayes complained about not negotiating with Republicans and says power is on one side. First of all, power is not on one side. Secondly, when Republicans were in power, Donald Trump, please remember, won with, with, won with when he won in 2016, the Electoral College he won in 2016, he lost the popular vote by 3 million people, which means... He was governing without the consent of most Americans. Let's get that off the bat first. But with that, with that non-power, he decided to place three Supreme Court justices on the courts, on the Supreme Court. He also filled up the, the bench courts, the district courts, with a lot of conservative, incompetent judges. That he did. With minority control. Think about it. That is abuse of power. If I, if I won the electoral college and lost the, the vote by that many people, the last thing that I would do is try to get, uh, bring, bring judges and all these other people or, that are diametrically opposed to the people who are in the majority. I would try to get some sort of a compromise. That is the overuse of power. Now what we should do, Democrats, what they need to do is modify the courts so that this stuff cannot happen again. And we need to get rid of the Electoral College. We need to make everything popular vote. Uh, the, and, and for people who said, yes, but that will be tyranny against the, the minority. I say, the tyranny of the majority over the minority. I said, no. Please understand your constitution. It's our constitution and our constitution protects us against the tyranny of the majority. How does it do that? It's something called the Bill of Rights. And what the Bill of Rights does for people is the following. And, and people have to understand these concepts because Republicans lie to you a lot. Uh, we should have majority rule and even having majority rule, we will not get the tyranny of the majority. In other words, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about black people's rights because black people are still a minority here. The majority still could not go ahead and say, okay, we don't like black people anymore, so we are going to force them to do X, Y, Z. The Bill of Rights protect the majority of the population from coming down on a small part of the population for things that we have decided as a society are inalienable rights. That's what the Bill of Rights does for you. In other words, the Bill of Rights is the elimination of of the tyranny the first 10 the first 10 bills eliminate the possibility of the tyranny of the majority okay i wish we continue to learn civics in america 
I had to learn this stuff to get my citizenship as an American. But most Americans, apparently, especially those on the right, fail to understand our own constitution. It is important that we do so that, the, that these, uh, these people can't pull the wool over your head. Okay, it is so important for us to know that so that they can't pull the wool over your head. So no, uh, the Repu- the, now that the Democrats are in power, it is incumbent on them to fulfill the duty of the majority, the ever-expanding majority. Remember, uh, at first it was 3 million. D- Donald Trump lost the first election by 3 million. Now he lost the second election by 7 plus million, folks. So remember, most people are where this show is at. And, and, and it, if, if one drops ideology, it's more than 70% of people believe the things that we believe in. Okay, the subject at hand. Let's go to the show. Oh, wow, we started out early. You guys, I love you guys. You all always change where things are supposed to go. But it's your show. Remember that? It's your show. And I've always meant that in detail. It's your show. Anyhow, title of the show today is Fact. And there's no this this is not up for discussion, but it's up for teaching. The economy does much better under Democrats. Trans activists discusses Medicare for all and immigrants. That's our that will be our interview today. Trans activist Sofia Sepulveda discusses Medicare for all, immigrants, and more. It's no fluke. The economy does much better under Democrats. And the article is an article that's in the New York Times. Why are Republican presidents so bad for the economy? And it's not hard. It starts out... I'm actually, this, the article, I don't even like the way it starts. Because here's, what the article, this, here's how the article starts. A president has only limited control over the economy, and yet there has been a stark pattern in the United States for nearly a century. That's 100 years. The economy has grown significantly faster under Democratic presidents than Republican ones. Okay, this is not a fluke. In other words, this growth that we're talking about is not a minor growth. If you take a look at the numbers, the biggest economic growth ever in this country was by a Democrat, Roosevelt. The second big was done by Kennedy. The third by Johnson. The fourth, by Clinton. The fallacy has always been that somehow Reagan was this great, great economic wonder. In the book that I wrote called As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom, I explained what, what Ronald Reagan did. I explained also what, what, um, what Clinton did. Clinton was coming out of a morass created by the Reagan-Bush Reagan, uh, bubble, and when it exploded... Uh, Clinton came and he passed this huge budget and he did it with, uh, he had to increase taxes as well. Well, Bush, Bush one also increased taxes, so it started with him and I did give Bush one credit in my book as well. But uh, Clinton increased credit, not one Republican voted for it and they said that the economy was going to crash. They said the economy was going to crash. Now, all of us know better, right? Taxes don't crash. Increasing taxes don't crash economies. We understood what's happening. 
what Ronald Reagan did when he came into office, and this is important for people to understand. If you don't understand economics, I'm going to show you a little bit of Economics 101 right now. And it goes as follows. Ronald Reagan ran on something that Bush won, G.W. Bush's daddy, called Voodoo Economics. Why was it called Voodoo Economics? Because Ronald Reagan claimed he was a conservative. He was going to cut the budget by a bunch, cut entitlements by a bunch, and then increase the military budget by a bunch. The numbers never added up. How did they make it add up in their minds? They said the tax cut would pay for itself. Wow, magical. The tax cut was going to generate so much economic activity that it was going to pay for itself. That is a standard protocol that they normally put out there. Well, we know better. What Donald, there's another, there, there are two forms of, there's a form of economic called uh, Keynesian economics. What it says is when you're, when you're in trouble, when your economy is slowing down and people don't have the buy-in power, that the government should, government that has unlimited power to fund, unlimited power, it's not, the government money isn't like your money in your pocketbook. That's why when people say that, it's a silly thing. Anybody who says, I keep my, bu my budget balanced, the government should too. They're crazy. The government should never keep their books balanced. The government should have an overbalance when things are great and an underbalance when things are not good. The government is the funder of last resort. Okay, so the the government should never be be balanced, and it doesn't have to be. Especially if you have your own currency, you never have to talk about balance. That's again, economics one hundred and one. Now, anyhow, so Donald, so when when Reagan came into power, he 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 was smart. He was smart. Well, his people were smart. He's not smart, but his people were. They understood if they cut taxes, they'll get a little bump. But what? was going to give them their biggest, humongous bump was going to be deficit spending. And Ronald Reagan at that time had a $40 billion, this is back in 1980, 81, had a $40 billion, I wrote it in my book about that, $40 billion deficit. What that did was that threw so much into the economy that the economy took off. The economy took off under Reagan. And everybody called it the Reagan miracle. But, you know, uh, what, what happens to these Reagan miracles that are built on sand? Eventually they cave in. So that's exactly what happened to the Reagan miracle. But again, it started off and he had a huge economy. And even on this list, he comes out at number five. But guess who came out at number four? As far as really taking off with the economy, Clinton did. Because Clinton, as usual, the, the, the Republicans always, because of policy, this isn't because, of, because they're Republicans. This is because of policy. Their economies always tank. Democrats come in, do the necessary adjustments because they follow the math. They follow science. And the economy takes off. And then while the economy is recovering, somehow they, they, they raise hell about how bad the Democrats are. And somehow Democrats lose again, and boom, the economy cracks again. If you doubt it, let's take a look at it. We, we, we can start from, uh, from Reagan. Uh, Reagan comes in. By the way, we have to remember what happened with Carter. Carter had stagflation because, and I explained that in the book as well, 
because of what the oil industry, the, the, the oil guys did, right? They increased the price of oil. And remember, oil was not a scarce resource, but since everything was dependent on oil, you got inflation. At the same time, you got inflation, you didn't get, on, you didn't get employment because, again, uh, that's a complicated setup. But anyhow, so Reagan came in. He had deficit spending. The economy takes off. Good. He tanks the economy, and uh, Bush, one, gets a tank in the economy. Even with a war, remember we're in Iraq, even with a war, the economy started to tank. Uh, so Bush understood he had to raise taxes to put money where money needed to go. So he did that. And Clinton came along, and that's remember Bush made that promise. No new taxes when he ran, and they made him pay for it when he raised it anyway. Anyhow, Clinton comes along, he raises taxes. Republicans claimed the economy was going to tank. Not one of them voted for it. And Carter, or rather, and, and Clinton's economy went through the roof. Okay? It goes through the roof. When it goes through the roof, right, what do you think happened? He won the second term, etc., etc., etc. We were at that point talking about never, ever having a deficit again, a budget deficit again, because we were into surplus. Okay. So we get the Supreme Court appointed Bush 2 as the president. Bush 2 comes in. What's the first thing he does? He cuts taxes and goes back into deficit spending. But he cuts taxes. The difference between cutting taxes and Deficit spending and giving folks money is that cutting taxes does not circulate in an economy as fast as giving money to those who spend it. And that is the mathematical reason why Democrats do better than Republicans. Republicans believe in tax cuts and a form of economy called supply-side economics. And let's blow the hole in supply-side economics, voodoo economics. Supply-side economics says the following. We give a lot of money to the people on top. We provide the supply. And then that is going to come trickling down. You have to ask, how does it trickle down? Are these people, the rich people who got the money, are they going to write a check for the regular person? No, they're not. Are they going to give donation to the regular person? No, they're not. They're going to build factories for something that you want to buy, right? Yeah, that's what they're going to do. Okay, why will they build a factory to create pieces for demand that does not exist? Right? In other words, I'm going to build a car factory, but nobody's buying cars. So why are you going to build it so you don't build it? So instead, they bank their money or they put their money offshore to do something else. And that is exactly why things happen the way they do. Republicans give tax cuts, supply-side, economics... Democrats give stipends. Democrats give uh, things to create uh, jobs with a green energy, create jobs by funding things that people spend money. When people start to spend money, they democratically decide what products they are going to want. Okay? They decide what products they are going to want. And when they decide what products they are going to want, the people who create factories 
know exactly what factories to build, what products to put out there. The people buy more products. As the people buy more products, the factories get built. They hire more people. Those people who they hire make more money who turn around and buy more products. Demand is what you have to create, not supply. Supply is neither democratic because if I get a lot of money uh, in tax cuts, how do I know what factory to build? What, what are people wanting? I don't know what people want. But if I give the money to the people, the people decide what they want, and then we know what factories to build, what products to produce. It's that simple. It's not rocket science. Now, Eric Hayes put a number out. Deficit grew $6 trillion between uh, 2009 and nine, and the other and between 2009 and 2017, $9 trillion. That is a perfect number, right? Because you have to realize one thing, and, and, and again, any economist would tell you this. If I am growing the deficit at 3% a year or whatever, which shouldn't be, but let's say I did that. If, if, one, if, if the first nine years is $6 trillion and then the second one is $9 trillion, well, you're, you're adding up a percentage on top of a something that's already there. So, of course, it grows exponentially. It's math. That it grew between 2009 and 2017, it grows $9 trillion, while between 2001 and 2009, it grows only $6 trillion. That $9 trillion could actually be less than the $6 trillion when you compound not only interest, inflation, and the, 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 uh, the, the interest on the debt. So Eric Hayes, when you put numbers out like that, you have to put a bit of thinking behind those numbers. Those numbers look pretty good. If, it's only th- if the delta is only $3 trillion over that, what's the problem? All right, we don't need to grow deficits as we are mortgaging our future away. That's a lie. That's a lie that they want you to believe. That is a lie that says our checkbook operates the same as a personal checkbook. Unfortunately, our schools do not teach economics. Our schools do not teach those important subjects that allows us to think strategically. And to think, uh, 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 what is the word that I like to use? Uh, To think critically. No, it does not mean that, sir. We are not mortgaging our economy because we have huge deficits. That's not true at all. And we don't print money. Again, that is the other fallacy. We don't print money. That's not how it works. That's how Republicans and the right wing like to tell you it works because it has a visceral effect on you. But that's not how it works. We could act, we have about a five to six hundred billion dollar slack in our economy. Let me, let me just give you a, a, a particular fact here, sir. You cannot get inflation unless you are trying to buy more than you are able to produce. That's a fact. You cannot buy more. Use, use your MasterCard to pay off your visa. That's not true. Again, that's not how it works. Uh, Eric, I want to ask you a question because you're putting those statements out there. Do you want to learn economics or do you want to continue to believe the fallacies that, you're, that the right-wing uh, media has told you? Let me know. Please let me know. Please let me know if you want to learn the truth about how economics really work or you want to buy into the fallacies that they tell you to control your mind. Answer that question and then we can move forward. Anyhow, I got to get to our, uh, our interview. But before I get to the interview, 
I, I, I urge you to read the article. It is linked inside of my um, inside of the blog post. But before I go there, you know what I have to do? I got to say, people, 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 please go ahead and click. If you're on YouTube, click that join button and become a part of our PDR posse. Become a part of our PDR posse. Not only are we asking you to become a PDR posse if you are on YouTube right now, but if you're on Twitch, if you're on Facebook, you can go to that link that I just placed there, politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. You can become a part of our PDR posse. And you know you know what was so interesting? Uh, uh, Bridge MCP designed, a <laughs> designed one of our cups. And you know what's ready now? Our cup is ready. So you can now get our cup if you uh, you can go purchase our cup right there. And let me show you the cup. There is a cup that's designed by whom again? Bridge MCP. You know I should have had the the link to the um, I should have had the link to that ready for you guys to to go out there and get. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to try to find the link to for you to get the mug if I can find it. If I can find the link. I should have had all of that prepped, but you know, every now and then you run into trouble, you have a whole lot of work to do, you don't get a chance to prep everything that you want to prep, plus I was writing some articles late on, so what I'm going to do now is I am going to get to that place and show you how you can uh, pick up that, uh, where, where is it, where is it, anyhow, it'll come sometime, it'll come sometime, anyhow, uh, you can also support us folks by going to, let, let, let me go ahead and get to that place. Uh, you can support us by becoming a part of our patron. That is politicsandright.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Politicsandright.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. We support PayPal as well. You can support us by going to politicsandright.com slash PayPal. That is politicsandright.com slash PayPal. Let's see. The duck that quacks $2.50 every month instead of $1.99, brother. If you want to give $2.50 every month, you can go to our Patreon and do that, brother. I appreciate that so kindly. You're a good person. You're a good person. Uh, but I'd love for some of you to go ahead and hit that join button as well. Bring us into La Ola. I think I found the link. I may have found the link. Uh, let's see. Para ver, para ver. There is the... It's coming down. It's coming down. Okay. I think I found it. There is the store. If you want, you can get the you can get that product at a place called Teesprings. And I'm going to put that link in the feed right now. You can get the cup right there. I just placed the cup right there. And if you want to buy the cup directly from our store, you can also buy the cup directly from our store. By going, oops, that's the wrong link. I don't like to use those funny looking links. People get crazy when they see links like that. So let me go ahead and put it in a safe link. All right. I'm almost there, folks. I'm almost there. Estoy, estoy casi ahí. Okay, let's get to that link, folks. Let's get to that link. Don't embarrass me in public. Or you can get that link right here. That's the other link. Okay. Let's go ahead and listen to our guest today. I'm going to play her, and we'll take it on the other side. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today we have a very special guest. You know, we are partial to people that are out there doing real activism, people on the ground, people that are fighting for your well-being, people that are fighting for Medicare for All, people that are fighting for your free speech. Well, have we got somebody for you? 
we've got somebody that is considered one of the 25 most influential women in San Antonio. We've got one woman that's considered San Antonio's progressive wonder woman. With us today, we have no other than Sofia Sepulveda. Sofia Sepulveda is from San Antonio. She is a Mexican-American trans-Latina healthcare organizer for Texas Organizing Project. And you know what else makes her great? Back in the early days, she was one of Bernie Sanders' supporters, which we know what all that means. Welcome to Politics Done Right, Sofia. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Thank you for having me. How are you, Egberto? I am doing great. You know, um, I went, you know, after uh, doing some research on you and finding out about you, I found that, my God, you work your butt off in, 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 in the activism field. And we need a lot of people like you out there. Um, uh, listen, not Texas. America needs people like you. Tell me a little bit about yourself and then we'll move on from there. Definitely. I, I was born here in Laredo, Texas, but I grew up in Nuevo Laredo, Mexico with Mexican parents. I came back to San Antonio for college and um, I've been very involved in politics. My dad was very political when uh, back in Mexico. I, um, there was a candidate called Luis Donaldo Colosio back in 1996, I believe. Yes. And I was, he was like the Bernie of Mexico at the time. So I was very gung-ho on helping him out. And that was around the time where I turned 18 and I was excited to vote for Luis Donaldo Colosio. Unfortunately, he got killed, right? But my dad uh, brought me back to reality, said, um, you are a U.S. citizen. You cannot vote in Mexico. We didn't give you um, <laughs> dual citizenship, so good luck with that. And um, well, again, the story, he passed, um, he got killed. They were on a campaign uh, trail uh, with another Colosio. And that was the end. We got um, Carlos Hernandez de Cortari, which was a very bad president. And I ended up moving here for college. I, uh, my first vote was, uh, I remember my aunt kept on telling me that I should vote for Gore because he was in the military, but I, stubborn little me, I voted for the Democrat, right? So, uh, and I've been uh, working on politi politics ever since I was uh, campaigning for Al Gore when I, uh, when I was very young because he was the only president at the time who was very supportive for gay rights, right? And environmental justice. So I was pretty involved with that. And I was mostly involved in political campaigns. So came Bernie in 2016, he said political campaigns is not where we're going to get, right? It's not, it's not gonna take us to the finish line. We need to be active in community and talk about issues, uh, uh, especially issues that affected, uh, that affect you. And 2014, 2015, I got really sick. I didn't have insurance. Uh, turned out it was a staph infection, right? It's multi-drug resistant. But my doctor at the time, I was going to a low-income clinic because I didn't have insurance. And he said that it, he thought it was lymphoma and I was really scared. I tried to get insurance. It was the middle of the year. And the only thing that you could get was quite catastrophic insurance. And I, because my doctor had already seen me, I wasn't qualified. So I had to go to our public health, which is the indigent health system that a lot of people do not know we have in every county. And I was able to get help. And unfortunately I came out with around $15,000 debt 
And that started prompting me to start asking questions, not just about with my family members, but workers about how, what are you doing when it comes to a medical emergency? And they would tell me, well, the reason that I'm working 50, 60 hours, right, is because my daughter has asthma and I need to take her to the doctor. And my deductibles in this insurance is pretty high. So I have to pay most of the costs out of pocket. And that's when I became an organizing in 2014, yes. Well, you know, and that is what's so important. You saw a problem. It not only affected you, but the empathy that you have from within, you saw it in others as well. You started asking questions and then you didn't say things can't change. You said, I am going to make sure things change. And you jumped on the band, the Bernie Sanders bandwagon. And, you know, a lot of people would look at those of us who supported Bernie Sanders as a delegate in Philadelphia. But most of us who uh, support B Bernie Sanders, a lot of people would have said, why are you supporting that old man or why are you supporting that guy? What they don't understand is that the support really isn't for the guy. The support is for the movement. And not only was the support for the movement, but it turns out that all the Democrats and some Republicans now are singing the same songs out of Bernie Sanders' book. Isn't that right? Exactly. I, I, I keep on, my boyfriend actually kept on asking me, um, because I used to watch Bernie Sanders before he announced he was running, right? And I'd be like, if he runs, I will drop everything. I will help him. And he would tell me who is going to vote for an old, angry Jewish guy, right? Who's always screaming at like me, I will vote for this guy. And again, like you said, it was not a cult of personality. It's the anger. And, 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 and yes, like, estaba enojado because we are constantly facing injustices, not only on healthcare, right, but in housing and jobs. So I understood where he came from. It was not like, oh, Bernie is adorable and I wanna follow him. No, it was the, uh, the thing that he was talking about. I kept on telling people, if tomorrow Bernie was to drop Medicare for all, I will stop supporting Bernie Sanders, right? And I will look for another champion who is a progressive champion. So we need to understand that we are not the Trumpers. We are not the QAnons. We want the policies. It's not about the money, it's about the policies. And I feel like um, I was listening to one of your po podcasts when you were talking about Beto O'Rourke getting very close, right? Mm -hmm. Because he was very strong on progressive policies. and. People didn't want Beto because he was six foot five. They wanted him because of his policies. And yes, he got very close to getting uh, uh, of getting rid of Ted Cruz, right? And that's what we want. That's uh, realize going in community that people are angry. People are, um, they don't have the hope anymore. They keep on telling me, why should I vote for this Democrat when I've been voting for them for 40 years and my life has not improved? And that is a very hard pill to swallow, especially when you're trying to get them engaged in the political discourse. That is why you're important, because you realize the essence of the voter. The essence of the voter is, I will vote when I really see something there to offer. Otherwise, why take the time off to go to vote? Why stand in the line? Why do that? We finally have to have something to offer. And you are the conduit between that voter and the appropriate and the appropriate elected official or the official to be elected. And that's why we should never waver when it comes to particular uh, people, 
uh, for particular policies. If you take a look at Biden, a lot of people think, well, Bernie wavered on Biden and, 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 and all of that. And what you're seeing in Biden right now, it may be cosmetic. We don't know yet. It's our job to make sure it's not cosmetic. But, but look, at, look at how he started with the environment. Look at how he started with healthcare. Look how he started with, with, with things that no one would think. Look at the size of the, 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 the um, COVID relief package. Even after a $600 billion package in December, he still comes back and he says, no, $1.9 So let's see. But so far, so good. Your thoughts? At the end of the day, right, like we need to be pushing Biden to be more progressive. He, We cannot sit back and think that he's going to solve every problem. And, and yes, I, I totally agree. I, I was very surprised when the moment that he started signing this executive orders, reversing every horrible policy that Trump uh, created with the stroke of a pen, right? Like separating families at the border, denying healthcare to trans communities, um, pushing denying trans the ability to serve, and denying tra trans the ability to so to serve on the military, right? So he was able to to revert a lot of that. He is talking about creating a more comprehensive path to immigration, which honestly, those these immigrants have already been here for years we don't need eight years of waiting we need relief right now right but it, it is important to to and to tell those woke folks during the trump administration that there is no time to go back to sleep right now there's not the time to go back to mimosas and brunch right now is the time to start pushing right we were resisting for four years i'm tired of resisting. Right now, we need to start pushing. We need to start pushing for better. I really believe that Biden will be listening and hearing the uh, the pleas of uh, or the plights of our people, right? As long as we are consistent and we can, uh, we continue pushing him to to create a better America for all of us, not just white folks. You know, I, that's that's an important statement, and I want to I want to add something to what you said because I think it's important given our audience. You just said. A lot of these people here, the immigrants have been here for a long time already. They've been, they've done their part. They've been working. And many times, a lot of the so-called uh, the, the so-called Americans, the ones that think they have more right to be here than anybody else, in as much as the natives that are in Mexico, the natives that are in Canada, the natives that are all over the place that were here thousands of years before, mm -hmm have more right and their their DNA is in all you know all, all over the Americas but many of them would uh, have a tendency to say well you know uh, who who do you think you are for coming here as a immigrant and thinking you deserve rights I want to qualify certain things that you haven't said yet I'm from Central America I am from Panama I have been a net positive to the America to, to America. You were born here, but your parents are from Mexico. You were uh, the, the, what you brought to America was a net positive. What many forget is what America has done by going to Mexico, Panama, Jamaica, Cuba, and all these other places and extracted from them. So therefore, that extraction deserves that others that are there many who have been maligned down there come right back here to where the results of the extractions were. So as far as thinking you owe anything to 
God, oh, thank you so kindly, America, for accepting this indigent. That's not the case. No. Never, I tell immigrants all of the times, never feel like you are a lesser of a person in this country than somebody who has the false belief that they have more rights to be here than you do. And the reason I wanted to say that, um, uh, Sophia, is because when you said, well, we immigrants have been here all along, it still gives them that door to say, well, be thankful. No, we are a part oh, of society exactly. and we are the ones that make this society as well. Continue, my friend. I'm sorry. And I, I just and have I, to I, I, no, no, it, that, that, that's a great segue because I think that uh, also a lot of people who feel entitled to be here, right? They, they, they have the erroneous idea that immigrant families do not contribute to our economy, when in fact, they keep on uh, uh, paying taxes and they have no- um, They don't get solution. it back. They don't get it back at, at the end of the year. They continue paying on Medicaid. In fact, the immigrant community is the one who pays the highest number of money to the Medicaid program, but has no access to Medicaid, right? All of the access to Medicaid are by U.S. citizens, which uh, uh, immigrants pretty much self-fund. So it is very important that when we talk about Medicare for all, we always continue mentioning immigrant families because it's the only bill in Congress who will protect and ensure health care to immigrant families. Right. I mean, I want to expand on that one, one quick bit before, before um, Sophia, because it's very important. Let's be clear here. This, the survival of social security, the survival of Medicare this far has been dependent on a group of people that invest into those funds and never take money out of those funds, meaning they don't, they pay social security, they can't take it out. They pay Medicaid, they can't, or rather they paid, they pay what's called a Medicare insurance tax and they can't take it out. So please, the problem in America is too many don't understand that immigrants are not only exploited by, uh, the, by capitalists, but they're also exploited by the government. Yes. And yes. That, the, that in many a time, welfare received by Americans, meaning citizens, you and I are citizens, so we count as well, that, that what, what we get back at the end of our lifetime comes from a whole lot of immigrants that were picking fruits, that were building things that will never be able to take advantage of that. So it's a two-way street, my brothers and my sisters. It's a two-way street and we need to understand that. Thank you, Sophia. No, and, and, and it's very true that they're not only picking our fruits and giving us food, right? Like they're taking care of our children. They're taking care of our elderly. And also they don't see the fruit of, of their labor, right? Because they continue struggling with healthcare in, in San Antonio, right? We have, um, I, I talk about the indigent healthcare program. That is a program that is in every county and it's supposed to be uh, providing healthcare to folks who are unfortunate, who are like low income folks, immigrant folks who don't have access to, to, to healthcare. Well, if an immigrant a person gets diabetes and is dialysis, they get lost in the system and more likely die because they cannot apply for Medicaid because they um, they don't have access to Medicaid. They cannot apply for Affordable Care Act because they don't have access to, to the subsidies. So they are left behind. The, the county sends folks to either apply for Medicaid if you are a US citizen. And so you can get your dialysis services, you can get your cancer treatment, but if you're an immigrant, where do you go? 
right? So it is very important, like you said, mentioning they're not only providing us food, they're not only contribute contributing to the economy without anything in return. They also have no access to food. They don't have access to healthcare, and they're the ones who are left off, right, and left behind. If, especially during a pandemic, if we're not taking care of these people, we're not taking care of each other because. They're, again, they're the ones who are making your food in that restaurant that you like to eat your tacos. If they get COVID and they are forced to go back to work, you will get COVID. So we need to ensure that we're taking care of our immigrant population if we want to get better. And this is not charity, folks. It is not charity. Again, these people, and you know, what happened is for political reasons, we know a whole lot of uh, folks generally on the right use uh, immigrants as whipping persons, but not understanding that their well-being depends on the well-being of immigrants in general. And there are a lot of people who realize that the capitalists understand that as well. That's why they play both sides of the game. They don't want uh, uh, all these these uh, these Mexicans and Latinos thrown over the border. They don't want that. They may give simulated that they want it, but then they tell their, their politicians, don't do it, don't do it. I mean, it's a game and the person that always pays are the people that least can afford. And it's not only the immigrants that pay, but it is the middle class and the poor. Exactly, I, I, I exactly, totally agree. You know, but anyhow, um, let's talk about uh, your fight for Medicare for All since we're on the medical um, type, the, the medical issue subject right now. Tell me, where do we go? How do we go from here? Because we only have about uh, six minutes or so. Where do we go uh, here? How do we now take a Biden who just wants to improve Obamacare and get what is the only option that makes financial sense for this country, which is Medicare for all? We need to continue organizing. We need to continue going on community and talking to community about the need of Medicare for All, but not just the need, right? But what benefits you're gonna rip off if we have Medicare for All. A lot of people think that it's like government giveaway and you're gonna end up poor. And at the end of the day, Medicare for All means you don't have to worry about monthly premiums. You don't have to worry about deductibles. You don't have to worry about out-of-pocket expenses. You don't have to worry about um, doctor's visits, right? And you have choices. Right now, they keep on telling you, you, you have the choice, you have the choice. I want to know the person or the worker who made a choice to get the insurance at their place of work because we don't have a choice in between Aetna and Humana and uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield. We take whatever our employer give uh, our employer gives us. We don't have a choice in choosing what hospital, what doctor we go to. We we only choose the doctors that our insurance companies tell us we can choose. My boyfriend again, he he got a card in the mail saying these are the hospitals you can see and these are the hospitals you cannot see. Six out of the seven hospitals in San Antonio he cannot see. So where is the choice? When we talk about Medicare for all, we talk about real freedom, freedom from employers taking advantage of us, freedom uh, from the labor movement. Then you have um, a better way to bargain for a better wages instead of taking care of what little healthcare you have, right? So we need to organize and we need to educate and inform our communities about why we need this. When it comes to the black community, 
maternal mortality rates in Texas is num we're number six on maternal mortality, mortality rates. We're number one on the most uninsured people in the whole entire country. So when we talk about Medicare for all, it's not about socialism. It's about taking care of each other as we should be. We need to start getting rid of the idea of the rugged individualism and what I do is for me and for me alone. When at the end of the day, whatever actions you take are going to have effects on people that you might not know. That is wonderful and very perfectly put. I want to add one uh, caveat, not a caveat, one additional uh, phrase to that. And that is we should consider and everybody should consider private insurance antiseptic slavery because it's just a matter of which master you want to serve. Do you want to serve at that big house, that big house, or that one? Which master do you want? Which master whips you less? Which master gives you a bit more food? Which master tells you, however, what you must do and that you prefer? If Americans started to see that our healthcare system right now is nothing more than slavery, meaning all of you guys that are walking there that look at me and think, only think about me when you think slavery you got to look in the mirror whoever you are because you are a slave to the current economic system if you don't have the freedom as was very aptly put by sofia sepulveda let me tell you sofia go ahead really like when we talk about death panels right now the only death panels that exist are insurance companies who have the right to deny you services even if they don't know your um medical background. That is so true. Now, uh, um, Sophia, I always ask this last question to my the people that, are, that I interview, and it goes as follows. And it's because I show my fallibility. And that is, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? How do we organize it, right? And what do we do in order to get the community engaged? I think of many ways we've done um, we got Lloyd Doggett to support Medicare for All two years ago by bird dogging him. If you don't know what bird dogging is, go birddognation.org and they tell you what it is. It's pretty much going after the, the going um, after them in real the representatives. time. Exactly. And disrupt, always disrupt, right? And 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 look at your representatives. Who is the one who is endorsing Medicare for All and who is not? Sheila Jackson Lee and Harris supports Medicare for All, but Lissy Fletcher and Sylvia Garcia do not. So we need to start focusing on those folks rather than focusing on people who already support our efforts, right? So that's the only thing that I will have to say. Muchísimas gracias. Dele un, un, una despedida a nuestra audiencia latina. Muchas gracias por estar aquí y espero que sigan con nosotros y, continu y continúen organizando en sus comunidades. Si quieren estar en enganchados con nosotros, vayan a organizetexas.org. Es una uh, organización comunitaria que estamos pe peleando para mejor salud, inmigración y reforma polici uh, policial. Y ahora en inglés. Thank you very much for being here. And thank you so much, Alberto, for your invitation. If you want to keep on fighting for Medicare for All, if you want to fight for the rights of immigrants, get rid of the um, jail system, come visit us at www.organizedtexas.org. And if you cannot donate, come and get engaged. Sofia Sepulveda, first generation Mexican American activists and you're looking at a real activist folks thank you so kindly for having been on politics done right
Thank you, Alberto, for having me. That was uh, Sofia Sepulveda. Let me tell you something. All of us are activists. All of us have to be activists. All of us have to protect our own interests. Hi, Coop333. Welcome aboard. Eric Hayes, welcome aboard. British MCP, Tank28. Welcome aboard. Uh, let's see. Ken Masesta Aki, Lee Grant, welcome aboard. Uh, Eric Hayes, I got you already. Welcome aboard. Thank you guys for all being here. Love you all. All of you. Uh, let's see who else is out here. Who else is out? Carl, or is that Carl or Carrie? I think it's Carl Cox. Welcome aboard. Uh, Paul Fleming, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see who else is here. I know I'm scrolling fast, so I'm missing a whole bunch, so forgive me if I missed you. Just throw your name. Norman Reynolds, welcome aboard, my brother. Uh, let's see who else is here. Who else is here? I saw some other names that I hadn't recognized in here. But anyhow, look, the duck that quacks. You know I love that name. The duck that quacks. The duck that quacks. Welcome aboard, brother. Uh, let's see who else is here. Linda E. Welcome. Bienvenido. I know I also saw, uh, let's see, Nanette Bird-Smith. Welcome aboard. Uh, let's see. I'm scrolling. I'm still scrolling. I'm still scrolling, so I may still get to you. Wow. I'm just at the 100th spot. All right. Let's see. Who else do I have here? Look, guys, I, I hope you enjoyed. Daniel Ledo, welcome aboard. One wonders if Egberto's Marxist policies were shared by the majority of Americans. Why are its viewership so low? My viewership is well in the right right spiel. I don't get a lot of live, but I do have a hell of a lot of uh, podcasts. So don't feel too bad for the low viewership at 3 in the afternoon when people uh, kind of work, Daniel. I know you have to find some way to kind of try to bust my bubble, but even if I had two people watching... I would still be doing the same and begging folks to let's go forward and keep moving the message forward. You see, Brother Lado, nothing moves me. I am a positive thinker and always wanted to move forward. Still love you, brother, and I'm still going to eventually get you, brother, but you keep on doing what you do. Ah, okay, let's continue going. Let's Julie Van Ostel, welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Uh, who else is here? I think I got Julie, Daniel. Let's see. Continuing, continuing. Okay, if I missed you, throw me a, a, a little note down below and I will definitely get to you. Let's see if I have anybody else at the bottom. Okay. I don't think I have anybody else. Anyway, folks, thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. Please do remember, go ahead and consider getting my book at Amazon, which is uh, the book that I normally have on the screen, which is not on the screen right now because Breach MCP's design is on the screen. There's a book. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing uh, family, relatives, friends, and neighbors. I just put the link in there. You can also get it at our store along with the cup and many other things. Please do remember as well to become a YouTube member by just clicking on that join button on YouTube and please become a YouTube subscriber. We really do need you to continue doing what we're doing here. Uh, we do a whole lot. If you click on that join button, I kind of give a little explanation of all the things that we do. So uh, you can all, if you're not on YouTube, you can click on politicsandright.com slash YouTube, politicsandright.com slash YouTube to see all that we do. Look, thank you so kindly. I know there are places that you could be, but you're here with me. Love you all. Thank you all. And you know how I get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right. And I am what? Out! 
we spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.